This is Elliot Jager. Welcome to my home in Jerusalem, Israel. I've just read a fascinating book, The Improbable Wendell Wilkie, The Businessman Who Saved the Republican Party and His Country and Conceived a New World Order. It's a book by David Levering Lewis. It's just come out. You know, Winners won with dignity, and larger-than-life politicians tamed their egos and chose the words they uttered in public with care. The improbable Wendell Wilkie describes an era of some 80 years ago when, in the face of destabilizing threats to the political system in the United States from within and to the homeland from abroad, Partisanship took second place to national unity. Wendell Wilkie, new to the Republican Party and to electoral politics, ran against Franklin Delano Roosevelt in the 1940 presidential campaign. He captured a respectable 22 million votes to Roosevelt's 27 million but a measly 82 electoral college votes to the Democrats' 449. With this victory, FDR won his third term and would go on to win a fourth in 1944. Of course, he died shortly thereafter on April 12, 1945. Now, what attracted me most uh, to this biography is its author, the Pulitzer Prize-winning David Levering Lewis. He wrote a masterful book called W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, subtitled Biography of a Race. And the book seems to me proof that an academic historian can be meticulous, can be judicious, but can also be readable. And the improbable Wendell Wilkie is even more accessible, I think, than uh, the biography of a race book about W.E.B. Du Bois. Now, Wilkie was raised in Elwood, Indiana, became a successful lawyer and headed the Commonwealth and Southern Corporation, a utility conglomerate, not a railroad uh, company. Now, for much of the 20th century, you know that America's political parties tended not to be ideological straitjacketed, serving instead as vehicles for running for office. Uh, Liberals and conservatives populated both parties. Wendell was a Democrat who switched parties just in time to to capture the Republicans' 1940 nomination and become the the presidential candidate of the Republican Party in 1940. So, so you know, broadly speaking, Wilkie approved of the New Deal. Uh, except that he thought that government should be partners with the private sector rather than supplant it. There also wasn't much daylight between Wilkie and Roosevelt as far as helping rearm America and helping Britain fight Hitler. Uh, What stood in the way, actually, was a Democratic-controlled Congress, which was willfully averted its eyes and, uh, and dug into isolationism. Uh, During his presidential campaign, Wilkie denounced 
what was going on to the Jews of Europe, already visible, already known in 1940. Now, remarkably, and this is where the story picks up, um, after he lost to Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Wilkie joined forces with the Machiavellian White House denizen. Now, while the Republican old guard looked on in horror, Wilkie helped to mobilize support for Lend-Lease, and he warned against isolationism. In 1942, he became FDR's informal roving ambassador. The president put an Air Force plane and a crew at his disposal, and he went around the world, traveling all over. He met Russia's Stalin, who was desperate for aid, desperate for a second front to be opened. He met uh, uh, China's uh, Chiang Kai-shek. He visited Egypt. He visited Iran. He met the Shah, the young Shah of Iran. He, he, He traveled to Iraq. And I found fascinating, sitting here in Jerusalem, that Wilkie arrived on that world a global trip. He arrived here in Jerusalem, and he met with separate uh, Zionist and Palestinian Arab delegations. Among the Zionists that uh, Wilkie met with was the great Henrietta Zold, who founded uh, Hadassah. Um, And he met with Moshe Sheret, who would one day become the foreign minister. He met with the British mandate officials. And he recommended that they allow Jews and Arabs jointly to, to, to take part in governing, to get ready for God. The whole idea of the mandate was to create a national homeland for the Jewish people, right? But the British didn't like his ideas at all, as Lewis tells us. And I was very curious about this Jerusalem trip, so I also, I also went to David Wyman's book, uh, another historian, a book called The Abandonment of the Jews. And he, he writes that Wendell Wilkie confronted the British leadership with the need to admit large numbers of Jews to Palestine. The British High Commissioner replied that since the United States was not taking Jews in even up to the quota limits, America, Americans were hardly in a position to criticize. Now, there's a lot of truth to that. Wyman tells us that Wilkie backed the committee for a Jewish army to fight Hitler. Wilkie sided with the American Zionist Emergency Council in its campaign against the British 1939 White Paper. Wilkie supported the 1943 congressional resolution that would have pressed Franklin Delano Roosevelt to effectuate a plan, some plan, to save European Jewry. Of course, Congress didn't pass that resolution and Roosevelt didn't do anything. In 1944, when U.S. newspapers disgracefully printed very little about uh, uh, the destruction of the Jews of Europe, Wilkie agreed to lend his name, his non-Jewish name, uh, to the American Jewish Conference's National Committee Against Nazi Persecution and Extermination of the Jews. And in appreciation, this righteous Gentile was awarded a medal by the American Hebrew Magazine partly for writing a Saturday evening post-essay in which he made the case for minorities. It was in reply to a piece the magazine ran entitled The Case Against the Jews. And he was extraordinarily opposed to Jew hatred. Uh, He had pushed back 
He had, he had pushed back Joseph Kennedy, JFK's dad, for threatening Hollywood Jewish studio moguls because supposedly, and I stress supposedly, some of their movies boosted opposition to isolationism. Uh, Wilkie was generally sympathetic to the idea of a Jewish homeland in Palestine. Obviously, Roosevelt was not. And in 1941, he helped to establish Freedom House, still in existence, an anti-totalitarian, anti-authoritarian advocacy group. In, In 1943, Wilkie brought out a genuine bestseller, that articulated his internationalist philosophy. As Lewis takes pains to note, by macabre coincidence, the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising began 11 days after his book, Wilkie's book, One World, went on sale. Now, he believed that after the war, America had to be engaged in the world through a United Nations. Unlike Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Wilkie abhorred British imperialism. He thought colonialism would come back to bite its European practitioners. And while he was no babe in the woods, not in his personal life, and not in the way he captured the Republican nomination, David Lettering, Levering Lewis tells us, leaves us, I should say, with a distinct impression that Wilkie was a good man. And he leaves me thinking he was a good man for the Jews also. Because bucking the demagogues of the popular tide, Wilkie spoke out for tolerance and against racial and ethnic prejudice. He aligned himself closely, publicly, and often with uh, Walter White, who led the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. This was at a time when the federal government itself colluded with segregationists. Now, you may know that the Jews of the time hero-worshipped Franklin Delano Roosevelt. A cadre of court Jews inside and outside the administration made excuses for the president. They tried to quash Jewish criticism of Roosevelt. Now, history has not been kind to them. Because before the war, FDR sidestepped conflict with the powerful isolationist camp. He abetted the British in keeping the gates of Palestine closed to Jews. No less egregious, he refuted, he refused to permit Jews desperate asylum in the United States. And during the war, FDR found imaginative ways, imaginative ways, of not getting in the way of Hitler's industrialized destruction of European Jews. From the Evian Conference in 1939 to the Bermuda Conference in 1943, the Roosevelt administration was resolute in not rescuing Hitler's victims. Now, how would Jewish history have been different if, Frank, if, 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 if Franklin Roosevelt had not won, if Republican Wilkie had defeated Democrat Roosevelt in 1940 presidential elections? I think there are clues, and the clues come from David Levering Lewis. Because Lewis points out that in, 19, in 1939, May 1939, remember the war begins later, December 7th, 1941. In, 1949, in 1939, Roosevelt denied asylum 
to 937 Jewish passengers on board the, a ship called the St. Louis. It was sitting right off the Florida coast. He sent them back to Germany. That's Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Wilkie would later tell a campaign rally, quote, we have been sitting as spectators to a great tragedy, end quote. Now, in 1941, the America First Committee, led by Charles Lindbergh, warned against what they called the, the natural passions and prejudices of other people to lead our country into war. Lindbergh warned the Jews not to push for war, for they will be among the first to feel its consequences. Someone else said the same thing. His name was Adolf Hitler. So alongside Lindbergh and the Jew-hating car magnate Henry Ford and the Catholic cleric Charles Coughlin, all conspiratorialists, all haters, the Roosevelt administration simply did nothing. The point being that this was a time when it was not necessarily politically a winning strategy to support Jews, but Wilkie did. He went up against Ford, he went up against Lindbergh, he went up against Charles Coughlin, and he went up against the silence of the Franklin Delano Roosevelt administration. But in 1944, Wilkie was exposed as a reasonable progressive, because that's what he was. And he tried a second time to win the Republican presidential nomination, but he was thwarted, thwarted by his party establishment. And after he pulled out of the race for the nomination, there was talk he might even support Roosevelt, as opposed to Dewey, Thomas Dewey, who won the nomination. But we'll never know. That's because Wilkie died of a heart attack in Manhattan on October 8, 1944, at the age of 52. So Wendell Wilkie was an improbable candidate for the Republican nomination because he was a business, businessman and a progressive. He was a non-isolationist and a proponent of tolerance. He saved the Republican Party by turning it away from isolationism. And he helped save the country by promoting, by promoting a bipartisan internationalist ethos in U.S. foreign policy, at least during that time. I'm Elliot Jager, and I've been speaking to you from my home in Jerusalem. You can be in touch with me by writing to ej5 at nyu.edu. It'd be good to hear from you.